Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. This edition of the GRC Professional Podcast is the first in a series of podcasts featuring our Managing Director, Naomi Burley, and our Stakeholder and Engagement Consultant, Carol Ferguson, who will be really looking at some of the key and basic obligations that companies have towards the regulator. This particular episode, will be looking at breach reporting to ASIC. Sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine and GRC Professional Online. And today we have our Managing Director, Naomi Burley, and we have Carol Ferguson, who is our Stakeholder and Engagement Consultant. Hi, Carol. Hi, Naomi. Hello. Hello, Kwame. So today we're going to be discussing breach reporting to ASIC. Um, so, Naomi, can you fill us in a little bit about what that's going to be, what's going to entail? Okay. So, Kami, one of the reasons why we wanted to sort of plug into Carol's expertise in this area in particular is that um, we have a lot of members who are coming in and doing our Compliance 101 um, or our Certificate 4, and they have been recruited into a compliance role. And uh, so, even though our comp- our courses are all sort of principles-based so that you can build a compliance framework out in any organisation of any size, anywhere. Um, some of them need to have a little bit of a, a touchstone with the actual legislation, the actual requirements for their organisation. Right. One of those sort of key areas I think that's important to address um, for those members in particular. So this is a little bit of a 101, but there are some interesting points in, I think, for more experienced compliance professionals, is around breach reporting and where, how and why that might happen um, to help give a bit of confidence to those people in those roles. Because speaking to people who've, who've been pulled into a compliance role, they're quite confident about systems and processes and working on a compliance framework. But it's when they've got to front up to the board and say, I think there's something we actually need to report to our regulator. The justification behind that um, is something where they feel a little bit more lacking in confidence and credibility with the board because they're obviously new to the role and their top management know that, they know their background. So sort of wanted to, to plug into to Carol's expertise in this area in particular with her background with both ASIC and having worked in industry. Um, so Carol, over to you. I, I sort of want to give a, a bit of a feel. We did talk about this as to ASIC because everyone's covered by the Corps Act. So I guess where is this breach reporting requirement sit in legislation and in requirements? Okay, um, there are two sections of the Corporations Act. You have Section Nine One Two D, which relates to your obligations as an AFSL holder, and Section Six Hundred One FC One One. And I apologise, I was about to put parentheses in. Um, And both of them have requirements that you notify to ASIC um, for breaches. And there's also RG78, which is ASIC's regulatory guide, which deals with breach reporting. Okay, so there is some guidance out there around this. Absolutely. Um, but it's been the practice that both GRCI Viro members and you and your practical um, experience where people are not getting this right and ASIC hasn't been terribly happy around the discussions around breach reporting yeah. internally. Absolutely. I think the first thing to remember is that breach reporting in a way is a, a dialogue between you as an entity and ASIC. And it says that the compliance professionals within your organisation have been able to detect that there have been anomalies or issues that that relate to the way that you discharge your services. So it could be a unit pricing error, it could be a system failure, 
etc. And those are the sorts of things that you have to consider in your day-to-day obligations. So it could be a, a serious Chinese walls breach, etc. So when you as a compliance professional are considering breaches, it's first off really important that you understand the provisions of RG78 because that is a very well written for, for ASIC document and it helps you to really understand where your obligations are. The second thing is important to educate both your board and your management team about what breach reporting means. There unfortunately is a view out in the world that breach reporting is a sign that you're a failure as an organisation. ASIC does not view it that way. ASIC actually thinks that if an entity doesn't breach report, it's a sign that they're not conducting their business properly. Mistakes happen and everybody has to acknowledge that things go wrong and we just, you know, you have to deal with them. Part of dealing with the mistake is not just going in and doing a complete change of your systems, bringing in experts, etc., but about considering whether this is a material breach or a significant one and what should be happening in relation to telling ASIC about it. And there's been far too many cases, and I won't mention specific companies, of entities that have gone and done the remediation and then afterwards gone back to ASIC and said, we've written out to our, our investors, we've remediated and ASIC said, well, actually, you've not done it the right way and they've had to redo the whole thing again, including communicating with their investors that they actually didn't do the right thing in the first place. Incredibly embarrassing. And so what can happen is once you've done the breach report, you can actually engage with ASIC as to how they want you to do the job so it's actually done from a regulatory perspective the correct way and you sometimes don't have to expend as much money as you think you might have to. I guess it's one of those areas where the scope of your role as a compliance professional you need to be really clear in your mind about how far you need to go in, in making compliance. So make, having your organisation make those kinds of decisions about remediation, you might you might workshop some of those, but as you're suggesting, rather than go ahead and, and roll out the entire program and wait the three months it takes to execute all that, to have the conversation with ASIC, you're better off touching base earlier. Absolutely. It's report early, report often, um, I think is almost the mantra that you have to have. And look, I think it's an educative process. I think this is part of the a good compliance or risk professional should be having a conversation with their board and their management team so that they truly understand what are their obligations. Because I sometimes think that people are definitely getting the view that if they report to ASIC, that's going to be taken as a you know, problem. Whereas, unfortunately, what's happening when, when the supervisory um, component of ASIC's staff come out, they're seeing breach reporting as being, if, it's, if they have no breaches, well, that puts them on notice that there might be a failure in their compliance arrangements. Okay. So I guess this then forms a core part of your compliance framework is having an understanding, some agreed criteria within your organisation for what would constitute a breach, what you understand it to be, um, and what that process is going to be from there on in and to escalate it, um, to resolve it, to, to take all those things on board and you've taken... And that is part of your framework. You've taken those people who are ultimately responsible for that breach, your board or your top management or whoever it is, because like in, it's another one of those keeping in mind, you're the second line. You're not responsible for this part. Exactly, yeah. And look, I think it's really easy, as I've said, to workshop some scenarios. But take, for instance, um, unit pricing. 
you know, it's generally accepted that you don't have to, to compensate somebody for um, a unit pricing error of less than $20. Um, but if that's happened for a half a million investors, it may be that, you know, you need to do that. And this is part of the, the discussion. A half a million people who have been affected by a unit, by a unit pricing error is generally a significant um, problem because it shows that your systems are maybe not working as effectively as they should be. Whereas if it's a $20 error for a thousand people and you've got half a million, a million people in your um, as, as investors, then you don't necessarily have to inform ASIC about it. But it's about working out, perhaps in consultation with your, with your external advisors, what are the parameters that you do report material breaches for? So there's almost a Bible, for want of a better word, of scenarios so that you can then say, ah, here am I, but not to be absolutely wed to it, but just to have some clear criteria so that in discussions with management they understand that, oh, well, we've previously agreed that this is something that should be reported. And that then reduces the angst. Yep, yep definitely. And then it's a very practical way forward for uh, especially a less experienced compliance professional to feel com comfort in this area and for their board to feel comfort. They've discussed this robustly. Yeah. And if I can just say it, also it helps that ASIC is not, uh, no, sorry, compliance isn't viewed as the handbrake, mm. um, that they're actually seen to be proactive and helping um, the business to understand what their obligations are so that if um, a breach occurs, then you're not coming in and, and being seen to be heavy handed because everybody al already understands the criteria. And it certainly makes the dialogue a bit easier. Mm, absolutely. All right. So I guess the, the, the other pertinence for this particular topic at this point in time is that ASIC has some, um, some new penalties and appetite uh, around breach reporting or lack thereof. Yeah, look, the, the issue is that under ASIC's new guidelines, which have vastly increased the penalties, um, there is a potential for a, a large breach to attract those types of penalties. So previously, the the um, the penalties weren't weren't that severe. Now they are, and and I think it's really really important. Um, and I'm saying this very important <laughs> that people understand that the consequences of not doing it. And now it you know these are things which can go to your license. But having said that. Um, ASIC is very, very keen to for people to understand that the very great percentage of breaches do not result in any enforcement action at all. If a licensee is seen to be doing the right thing, then ASIC takes the view that things happen. In any business, you can have a systems failure, you can have somebody who presses the wrong button, um, the wrong number was inserted accident. So accidents happen. And that's what this is about saying is, look, we understand as accidents happen. We just want to know what's gone on. And in the vast percentage of cases, there are no consequences. Yeah. And, and I think that that's the thing that people have to understand and that ASIC, you know, more than 90% of, of breaches that are reported do not result in, in, in any enforcement action at all. 
And I guess this again goes back to the quality of your framework and how much you'd agreed that criteria, you'd agreed to trigger points in your escalation process and you'd gone to the regulator at an appropriate time with that so that illustrated that you did indeed have the systems and processes to pick up um, the mistakes that can happen in any business. Um, and, uh, and what that means in terms of the indication of the maturity of your systems and processes and whether you need to advise ASIC of that. But the, yeah, and the inclusion in the definition around the likelihood of it being a breach. Yeah, and I think this is the one, the part that is least understood by, by very many people. Um, in the process of, of a, a breach being detected, the first thing that happens is a breach has occurred. Is it significant? Or is it some stage in the future, is it likely to be significant? So are you aware of something that's happened, but you're still doing the investigation of it? If it if the investigation proves that there is a, a material error, then they're the types of things that you have to tell ASIC about. Mm. So if it's something which is going to cause you to have to expend a lot of money, time, um, the investors have to be informed, there's a lot of investors, etc. then that's something which is likely to be, to be and, significant. And th that's the point when you should be having the conversation with ASIC, rather than waiting 12 weeks down the track when you've conducted the full investigation exactly. and established that it actually is, um, they'd rather hear early than late. Exactly. And, and the, the, the um, major issue is that ASIC sometimes will want to be involved in that investigatory process, or at least to be informed. They might want to know about whom, who it is that you're appointing. Are they the people that ASIC actually believe are the right externals to assist you in this process? Um, and as a result of that, it's really important that you actually have a discussion with them. So as an example, there could be a material misstatement in your financial accounts it's very important then that you have a discussion with ASIC about that because, you know, who is it that's going to investigate it? Mm. And, and that's the issue that you need to have. It's a quick discussion, but it's certainly one which is important before you go down the, the um, route of letting your auditor do it when they, ASIC actually wants an independent. All right, well, on that note, we will wrap up this particular session. But as I said before, I think this is the topic that we need to revisit, Kami, um, and that we might be delving into a bit deeper with some, some other case studies in the future. Yes, definitely, and also looking forward to the fact that I don't have to run the sessions. <laughs> and can I also just suggest that if people have got some, some particular scenarios that if they can advise Kwame about them, we may be able to deal with with them, but not on a names basis, of course, and we may in fact alter the facts just a little, but if people have got some issues they'd like to raise, we're very happy to discuss them. Yep, so uh, my email address will actually be in the um, place where this podcast will be posted, so you can just email me with those scenarios, and then we will be able to include that in the next set of podcasts. Thank you very much, Carol and Nan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the GRC Professional Podcast. This podcast was produced by the GRC Institute and the original music was written by Rob Neary.